I invite you to Matthew 22. Our scripture reader today is recovering from COVID, doing well, but I'll be reading our scripture today. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 22. Paying taxes. Ruthie, this is your favorite passage, isn't it? (laughs) She's got this one memorized. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and if you do not have a Bible today, we have Bibles in our vestibule and in our Family Life Center. We would love for you to pick up a copy today as our gift to you. If you're able, would you please stand and honor the reading of this portion of Scripture Matthew 22, beginning in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then. What you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Thank you. Paying taxes and serving God. While you keep your Bibles open there to Matthew 22, if you would, uh, Mark... Romans chapter 13, we're going to flip over towards the end of our time together this morning and look at a passage, Romans 13, we'll look at verses 1 through 8. We'll read that passage together later. If we have time, we'll actually read another passage over in 1 Peter, but uh, we'll see how the time goes. Let me ask uh, again for the Lord to just help us today. Father, we uh, approach a passage of Scripture that may be on the surface of it. Lord, we don't really think there's much here, but your word is divinely inspired and profitable for teaching and for correcting and for equipping and for training in righteousness. So there's much here for us today probably applications that we wouldn't think of right away and that your Holy Spirit will impress upon our hearts as we walk through this together and think of the different spheres of life that we live in under the government and under Christ and how those overlap and are not separate. And Lord, we, we will, if we seek you, we, we will learn some things today of how to honor and glorify you in the way in which we live in this world that we're not of. 
in it but not of it. Living in it, existing in it, but not of it. And yet, in such a dramatic way, our lives demonstrate that there's something more. There's something far more. There's something greater than the world in which we live. So help us today. Father, equip us, teach us, transform us, that we might shine, shine the gospel in our lives, the worth of Christ in our lives. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. Usually when you talk about paying taxes, that's not a good conversation starter, is it? I don't think I've known anyone to be excited and uh, convey their joy in paying taxes. We all know taxes are necessary to operate government, to uphold and maintain a civil society. And we pay all kinds of taxes for all kinds of helpful purposes. And I couldn't, I couldn't go through this introduction without saying something about the gas tax to improve our roads. <laughs> and you know where I'm going, don't you? I thought about, uh, we look at Ellis Ferry Road, and I think, wow, tax dollars at work. We look at 85 for several years now and think, what in the world? We know taxes are necessary, but we can't help but feel, we can't help but feel, can we, that, that Uncle Sam dips a little too far into our pockets. And I feel especially that way, usually sometime around April 15th, that's when I feel that. Allison uh, crunches the numbers for me, and then I'm, I'm usually, I usually feel crunched after she gets through crunching the numbers. So we usually don't think of paying taxes and serving God as being in the same category. In our minds, those are, those are two separate and distinct uh, compartments of life, two different realms and never the twain shall meet. And it was the same in Jesus' day as well. Rome imposed a tax on all of its occupied territories through all of its empire, including Judah, And the whole purpose then of of taking a census of requiring people to register was was to impose this tax, this what was called the poll tax on all of its citizens. So let's just pause here for a moment and recognize that God's sovereign plan was unfolding through the means of of a pagan government imposing a tax. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 prophesies that the ancient of days, the ruler of Israel, would be born in that little insignificant town called Bethlehem. But that's actually where the Messiah would be born. And in Luke chapter 2 verse 1, we we realize how Joseph and Mary ended up all the way back over in Bethlehem. Well, Luke chapter 2 verse 1 says a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the Roman world should be registered. There it is. That's right. 
God worked through the tax system of the Roman Empire that the messianic promise for the location of Jesus' birth would be fulfilled. It's an amazing thing how God's sovereign plan unfolds through the affairs of men and governments and nations and rulers. Caesar didn't set out to try to orchestrate things to fulfill the messianic promise. He set out to make money. But God is sovereign above all of the plans and purposes of men and was carrying out his grand plan of redemption. So paying taxes and serving God are not necessarily separate compartments of life. They, they overlap We live in Christ, and yet we live in this world, and particularly we live in this particular nation, in this particular state, in this particular community. And these are not separate compartments of life in which we live here as a community person, and we live here as a Christian, and Just like we don't separate the wheat, we're not just a follower of Christ on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and on and on. So all of the realms of our life actually coexist. They're not separated, and we're going to kind of see this play out as we walk through our passage today. So the first thing that we see, let's just... What see again how it unfolds. The first thing that we see is asking a question with the intent of a no-win answer. That was the the Pharisees' intention here. And this this idea that the the Pharisees are on this bent uh, purpose to trap Jesus with loaded questions. That's nothing new for us. We've we've seen this before in Matthew's gospel. We've we've seen it many times. Already, However, we've noted earlier that as Jesus nears the cross, and here we're probably still uh, in Tuesday of the week of Jesus' passion. And as Jesus is nearing the cross, the confrontation between he and the, and the religious leaders intensify because Jesus forthrightly, because his time is coming to an end on this earth, he, he forthrightly exposes the, their hardness of heart and their blindness to the truth. And they, instead of responding with repentance, they, they respond with, with retaliation. They're, they're going to get him back. They're going to stop him. They're going to silence him. Because after all, they can't be wrong. And he can't be right. And so the plot continues to thicken. Verse 15 plainly reveals their intent, doesn't it? They they plotted how to entangle him in his words. That That was the greatest thing that they can come up with. He's a teacher. He's always teaching. So if we can get him to stumble, if we can get him, if we can get him backed into a corner, if we can get him to say some things... And we can turn his words around and use them against him. That's, that's the way we'll bring him to silence and bring him to an end. But we know that that kind of purpose, they were just bent on a failing and vain endeavor. Because we know who Jesus is. The Son of God. Therefore, we know that he issues only the words of life. Words of truth. Words of truth. 
words of the gospel. But these religious leaders are blinded by their own self-righteousness. They're blinded to the glory of the Son of God. They're blinded to who they are before even with so much evidence, we've talked previously in Matthew's gospel that the, the evidence surrounding Jesus is so remarkable and astounding and undeniable. And yet, if you're blinded in sin, if you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you will never see it apart from the grace of God removing the veil from your eyes, transforming the coldness and deadness of your heart. So they are determined to discredit Jesus somehow, some way. And the scripture says here, they send their disciples with a group of Herodians. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Because Herodians were Jews who supported Roman authority. So they were Herodians. They were in favor. They were in support of the Herod dynasty. And maybe they, maybe they did so because um, they felt that... Uh, being under Rome maybe provided them with a sense of security with uh, the neighbors around them being part of the Roman Empire, uh, helped them and established them and kept them in a somewhat comfortable life. Maybe that was the reason. Maybe they, maybe they just felt, hey, they're, they're in charge, so let's just stay in good graces with them. Let's, let's support them. It'll be for our own good if we don't cause trouble, so let's support Rome. But for the vast population of Jews... They may speak favorably of Rome out in public, but once you close the doors, Roman authority was despised. Rome was nothing more than an, an occupying oppressor. Paying taxes to Rome was nothing more than surrendering and submitting to, to pagan unbelievers. The poll tax was a form of of dishonoring God. It was, it was a form of slavery. Rome had us under their thumb and w- was forcing us to give of our money to, to those who are uh, unbelievers, dogs, worthless people. And that would have been the position of the Pharisees. That's how they viewed Roman authority and Roman domination. But here they are sending their disciples with the Herodians, joining forces with the Herodians to trap Jesus. You see, Jesus, from both of their perspective, he, he was a common enemy. And so the Pharisees and Herodians, they were strange, we would say, bedfellows, but as the old saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So they have devised what they believe to be an inescapable trap for Jesus. He, he won't be able to get out of this either-or scenario. If he denies the duty to pay Roman tax, the Herodians will report him with a charge of treason. That'll be it for him. If he endorses the tax, the Pharisees will charge him with rebellion against God and aligning with the pagans seemed to be the perfect way to place Jesus between a rock and a hard place. Either way he goes, a large majority of people are going to be upset and there are going to be charges and there's going to be consequences. 
He's not going to be able to get out of this one. We finally got him. They plotted for a while. It took them a while to come, come to this. It took them a while to, to bring uh, somebody in that they disagreed with. But they came up with this plot. And note particularly how smooth-coated they, they set up their duplicitous question. They really pour on the praises, don't they, when they come up to Jesus? They are sweetening Jesus up for the kill here, for the dagger. And so they say, teacher. So they acknowledge his authority. They acknowledge his position. They acknowledge his status. And they say something about him. We know that you are true. So they say something about his being, about his integrity, and teach the way of God truthfully. So they, they acknowledge him as someone who can, who can give explanations. They, they set him apart as someone who is very trustworthy, and not only in his person, but in the things that he says, that he, he truthfully tells the way of God. Now, think about who's saying this. They didn't believe any of that for a minute. They didn't believe he was a legitimate teacher. They didn't believe that he was true. They didn't believe he was teaching the way of God truthfully. So there's smooth coating, candy coating. They still do not realize who they're dealing with, do they? They don't understand that he sees right through their words, right to their heart. But then they go further. Look how they're setting the trap, laying the trap. And you do not care about anyone's opinion. Now, that's an honorable thing to say for a teacher. A teacher must be one who will, who will say what is, what is right, what is true, no matter how it might be received, no matter how people may respond, especially if you're to be teaching the things of God. You do not care about anyone's opinion. But here, here they've brought the Herodians with them. So they're expecting Jesus to offend them. They already think they know which way Jesus is going to fall on this rock and hard place issue. And they say, for you are not swayed by appearances. And it's interesting to note how much the Pharisees were swayed by appearances. So now they've buttered, they've buttered him up. They've, they've set the trap and they ask the question, Tell us, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So in other words, they're expecting to Jesus now. They've put him in place. You've got to choose between the law of Rome and in their minds, the law of God. Which law you go with. By the way, when someone butters you up, they're getting ready to slice, aren't they? They're getting ready to slice. So asking a question with the intent of a no-win answer. But the second thing we see is answering the question with unexpected wisdom. Unexpected wisdom. And the Bible says Jesus was aware of their malice. Jesus was aware that they didn't mean what they were saying about him. He was also aware of what they were trying to do. He was aware of the entire situation. 
But they, however, continued to be unaware of his divinity. And he tells them, doesn't he? He tells them he knows their intent. Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? They're being very hypocritical in what they're saying and what they really think, what they really mean. You hypocrites. His his divine ears, they hear through this duplicitous praise and is listening intently to the heart. You can fool just about anyone. Here's another little side lesson for us. You, You can fool just about anyone with good Sunday school spiritual talk. But you can't fool God. You can't fool God. Jesus was aware. And so he asked for a coin and he asked for whose likeness is printed on the coin. And that's a little interesting way to get get at answering their question for him. And that day... A Roman coin would have on one side of the coin would be the image of the emperor's head. Along with this inscription, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. So Augustus is God and Tiberius is his son. They are deity. They are to be worshipped. On the flip side of that coin would have been the words that mean high priest. He is your high priest. He is how you approach God. He is how you approach heaven. Leaving no doubt, Rome meant for you to worship its leaders. Which is why so many Christians were slain as martyrs in the Roman Empire. Because they would not worship Roman leaders. So if Jesus is the son of the true God, and Jesus is our high priest, surely he wouldn't stand for this. So, boy, things are really getting ready to be heated. The disciples of the Pharisees, they are, they're kind of digging their heels in. They're getting ready for Jesus to say exactly what they want him to say, to watch the Herodians fly away in a fury and events transpire just as they have planned But he says to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And he totally blew away their plot. Render to Caesar, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. You've heard the saying, a picture is worth a thousand words and sometimes a sentence is worth a thousand sentences and that's like this one so kind of kind of to to unpack what 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 is all being communicated in that one sentence here's a few things in in other words stamping your face on a piece of metal and calling yourself the son of god doesn't make you the son of god i'm not worried about caesar 
Coins and taxes, they're, they're, they're all things of, of the earth. God, God had allotted to Rome a tiny space in the history of redemption to accomplish his purposes for that time and for that space. And just because Caesar thinks so much of himself in no way threatens the sovereignty and the rule of Almighty God. So give to Caesar what Caesar thinks is his. Give to Caesar what's due to Caesar. Give to God what's due to God. Pay your taxes because you live in this world currently, currently under this system, but live your life for God. He is eternal, and so is your soul. Again, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We have to live in this world. We have to make a living in this world. We have to provide in this world. We we have to make decisions in this world. But we're not of this world. So do the things that are necessary for the time and place in which you live, but in all things, give God everything that's due him. Give to Caesar what's Caesar and give to God what's God. So there was actually a third answer to the question, and the Pharisees hadn't thought of it. It's a way that someone with much more wisdom would answer, and and suddenly the rock in the hard place dissolves. And the Bible says they marveled. They marveled. In other words, they had no reply. They they had nothing else to say. He, He didn't answer either way they thought he would, so they didn't know what to do. So they went away. So now let's, let's digest this a little bit with the help of a companion text. And let's talk about the third point this morning. Paying taxes and serving God are not necessarily mutually exclusive. They're not separate compartments of life. And let's look over to Romans 13 now. And verses 1 through 8. As I'm reading this passage, we need, we need to all be thinking about being who we are, living where we are, when we are, under who we are. Romans 13, verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. And here's God's purpose for government. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subject not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes. Well, the authorities are ministers of God, 
So in other words, it's not just moral issues, but even the affairs of government like paying taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed. That sounds like Matthew 22, doesn't it? Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And the interesting thing about Romans 13 is that Paul is writing these words, of course, to the church at Rome, which connects to Jesus' passage and Jesus responding to this question, to Roman authority, to Caesar's question. He's writing, Paul here is writing to believers who live under Roman authority and who often face harsh persecution for their faith. Paul himself would be martyred in Rome by the bloodthirsty Emperor Nero. So keep that in context when you hear Paul say, be subject to the governing authorities for they are God's servant. God has placed them. He raises them up and he takes them down for his purpose. Paul says God is sovereign. He puts rulers in place. He dethrones rulers. He has purposes for seasons of rest and he has purposes for seasons of unrest. And they're all about the gospel and his glory and the good of his people. Even when it doesn't seem good or feel good or even when it is not good. So that being a law-abiding citizen as far as possible, keep that caveat in mind, without denying the faith or without living against our conviction of Scripture, being a law-abiding citizen is serving God. Being submissive and humbly subjecting to authorities that we might even disagree with, who might even be acting wrongly, who might even be working against the gospel as far as is possible without denying the faith and without denying our conviction of the truth of Scripture, we are to subject ourselves to them to be a law-abiding citizen. God is glorified when his people honor the authorities that he has placed over us. Of course, that extends beyond governments. That extends to parents. That extends to teachers. That extends to spiritual leaders. That extends to supervisors. That extends to employers. God has placed authorities in our lives. First Peter chapter 2 Verses 13 through 17. Let me just read quickly this for you. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence. That by doing good... That is being subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. 
For that by being good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. It's Peter's words, and he's writing to believers who are under enormous persecution. And he exhorts them to be subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake. In other words, as believers, we recognize God is sovereign over all human institutions. We we are subject to them because we are foremost subject to God. And God is over them. When we live as good, law-abiding, God-honoring citizens, we put the gospel on display. We show that we don't have to get our way. We're not called to riot. We're called to trust God. Even when we are subject to the ones and we are the ones who are being mistreated. In preparing for this message today, I just have a a couple of closing remarks and we'll be done. But let's let's apply this today to us because in preparing for this, I, I wondered, and I was convicted in recent days, I wonder if how I've spoken of my current president would fall in line with 1 Peter and Romans. I don't think it would. I have to confess that to you today. What about all that's going on with COVID? Vaccines. Masks mandates what are we going to do with that Romans 13 1 Peter 2 our primary calling church is not to a political party but to the cross and to the gospel The way we act and the way we talk in these days of division, we are either upholding the gospel or we are denying it. Do not, let's not allow our cultural, political divisiveness take over our primary calling as children of God. As far as is possible. That's why I said remember that caveat. As far as is possible in our federal government, our state government, our local government, we got to live out Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter 2. That's not an option. We are to submit and honor those God has placed over us even when even when they're, like in Romans and Peter, not leading us in gospel ways. As far as is possible, we are to obey and honor them. Until it gets to the point that we are denying our faith, 
or that we are being forced to live against our convictions of truth and the gospel. For Paul himself, who wrote those words, were, was martyred by Rome because it came to a point that he could not deny the gospel. He would not quit preaching the gospel. So when that happens, when, when, when our governing authorities get to the point that their mandates are asking us to violate our faith, to deny our faith, or to violate our convictions of what is scripturally true, it's at that point that we are to humbly, peacefully submit to God and suffer for the gospel's sake if that should be the result. That's what God has called us to do. So we could put it this way. What if you are an Afghan believer today and your government is the Taliban? What if you're my friend over in a, I won't name the country, we've, we're on live stream, but what if you're, you're him and all of a sudden your government is a military takeover? What if you are living in a situation because you are a believer, you are being threatened with beatings and rape and imprisonment or even death? If you keep going to church and if you keep telling people about Jesus, what do you do then? How do you live out Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, well, if God leads and provides a way to escape, you flee just as Paul did in Acts chapter 9. But if the Lord calls you and leads you to stay, and he does many of his people, your suffering and death will make a stand for the gospel that will not be forgotten or will never be in vain, just as Stephen's death in Acts chapter 7. And that's why Peter said, same guy that wrote chapter 2, that's why Peter said in Acts 5, we must obey God rather than man. So paying taxes and serving God are not necessarily mutually exclusive. But when it comes to denying the faith and denying scriptural truth, They become so. Being a law, so concluding thoughts, here it is. Being a law-abiding, tax-paying citizen is a witness for Christ. And so is suffering patiently for the faith of the gospel. So may we render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but always render to God the things that are God's. I think the question for us because we're not sitting in Afghanistan today. The question for us sitting in Grassy Pond today is this. I think we're pretty much giving to Caesar in terms of material, maybe not honor and prayer. The question is, are we giving to God all that belongs to him? Let's pray. Lord, we prayed earlier, there's probably something here we're not expecting, we're not anticipating. There's probably something here for us to learn, a way for us to grow, something to confess, something to embrace in our lives. It's something to do. Anytime we're 
before your word, there's, there's something to do. There's a way for us to respond. So would you help us respond now by faith and obedience to trust and obey? To be humble, submissive people who honor those you have placed over us, to pray for those, respect those, follow those as far as we possibly can, even when it's not our preference, even when it's not our opinion, even when it's not our way. But as Christians, for the Lord's sake, we honor those that you have set over us. Until it comes to the point that you're calling us to take a stand for the gospel and to suffer patiently and to suffer well in some way. Lord, we've got family all over the world suffering today for the gospel. We live in an increasingly hostile environment to the gospel. We have to learn these lessons now. If we can't honor a president or a council or a government that we disagree with now, if we, can't, if we can't simply honor those now, it will be very difficult to stand when it's going to cost later. Build your church today, Lord, beginning with me. All of us, may you work in our lives that we would be these kinds of believers, that we're different. We're different. We don't respond the same. We don't respond as expected. We don't respond as anticipated. We respond in the gospel, and that's not anticipated in this culture. Make us those kinds of people, sons and daughters of God, proclaimers of the gospel in life and in word. We ask for it all in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand? You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.